0: We've been considering, speaking of growing, we've been considering the keys of spiritual development. And what uh, we mean by that, what I mean by that is that there are certain ingredients, certain keys that you need in your life if you hope to mature spiritually. And the sad reality, and I don't know if this is true the world over, I I suspect that uh, people being people, that there are certain elements of which it's true. I remember one missionary talking about revival in her country and saying that uh, the spiritual depth of the people was a mile wide and an inch deep. Even though revival had come, they had failed to thrive. In spiritual maturity and in our country, certainly, uh, that is also true. Many people come to faith in Christ and it's a genuine faith. They, um, through a, a sermon they heard or a friend that witnessed to them or uh, something on the television or radio brought them into the awareness that there is a God in heaven who loves them, but he's a holy God and uh, that they had not lived up uh, to uh, His character and His requirements. We call that sin, that they are sinners, that they needed a Savior. And uh, they have come to that place of faith and belief where they repented of their sin and they turned uh, to God in faith through Jesus Christ and asked for forgiveness and the finished work He did on the cross to be applied. And they are born again. And yet, many Christians have that experience and stop growing right there. They don't go any further. In fact, Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 5 as he's taking us in a very linear fashion through the, the awareness of sin to the development of faith toward Christ and ultimately toward the Spirit-filled life. If you read Romans straight through, you get that explanation rather uh, thoroughly and linearly. In chapter 5, he says, uh, through whom we have obtained our introduction into this faith wherein we stand and we exult in the hope and the glory of God. So, coming to faith in Jesus Christ is only the beginning. It's the new birth. And we are just exactly that. We're spiritual babies when we're born again and we need to grow. And so we've been looking at what are those essential ingredients that will move us from infancy toward childhood and spiritual adolescence and ultimately toward becoming a mature men and women of faith in Jesus Christ. And we spent the first uh, number of messages talking about the importance of Scripture, how you cannot hope to grow spiritually and be transformed from this world's mindset without uh, building the Word of God into your life, building the teaching of Scripture into your life, learning Uh, to know what is in the Bible. Because God says, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Um, You need to learn my ways as you come to me. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and it is through the Scripture that that mental transformation and renewing occurs to give us a godly perspective on life. Last week we talked about the importance of Of corporate worship. How crucial it is that we come together in times of assembly with other believers and we worship God together and we pray together and we study together and we sing together and we read the scriptures and hear messages. And even if that doesn't all happen in the same service, uh, during the week there should be those times when the body of Christ gathers for fellowship. As the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. But the tougher times get, all the more as you see the day approaching. Because the, the more difficult it is in the world to follow Jesus Christ, the more desperately we need the encouragement and fellowship of one another and the prayers of one another. Uh, it's just essential that we have that. Well, this morning I want to talk about the ingredient of cultivating the habit of prayer. It's one of the keys of spiritual development, and it's just as important as the other two that we've looked at. There has to be, in the life of every child of God, a cultivation of the habit of prayer if we're going to develop our relationship with God. When you think about it, How do you get to know someone? How does that happen? (laughs) You you communicate, don't you? You talk. Uh, You know, it may even start out, I was talking with someone the other day, talking about a pen pal. It may start out as an exchange of letters, uh, but eventually you've got to add some facial expressions and body language to that. If you're really going to get to know someone, you've got to have those face-to-face conversations. And... um, You've got to build that relationship over time that is based upon a mutual exchange of your heart and your mind. Sometimes we make prayer into this complicated spiritual mumbo-jumbo, you know, and really it is nothing more or less, as wonderful it is when you think about it, But it's nothing more or less than having a conversation with God, talking to Him, and listening to Him talk to us. It is, in fact, a two-way street. It always disturbs me when someone says, I'll say some prayers for you. It's like, oh, what are they going to really do? Um... Because if you say a couple of prayers that you pick out of a book, I'm not saying that that can never be meaningful, but uh, so many times people think that I can say this prayer or that prayer and I'm going to kind of build some brownie points with God on your behalf as opposed to I am going to be praying for you. That gives me a little more comfort. Because it makes me feel like they're going to talk to God on my behalf. And, you know, a lot of times we, we think of prayer in mystical terms that it is not. Instead of mystical terms that it is. Because prayer is a mystical experience. We're communicating with the God of heaven. But by the same token... It is no more complicated than a good conversation. It has many facets to it. And I mentioned this morning in the outline that there are three kinds or qualities of prayer that should be built into our lives as a factor in developing spiritually. And the first one is probably the one you're most accustomed to hearing, because Everybody talks about this when they talk about discipleship, and that is developing appointed times for prayer and intercession uh, that you have in the day. Uh, sometimes people call it a quiet time, and they incorporate Bible reading and prayer together and say, you know, you need to have a quiet time, and they give a definition to that. I want to be careful this morning not to give you the impression of some kind of legalistic um, chart that you check off, you know, like I did my chore today kind of thing, Um, that you think of it as an opportunity that you have set aside to meet with God. You know, when you get with a friend that you really enjoy, do you think of that as a chore? Oh... I got to go have coffee today. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we don't view that that way. We think, wow, I ha- I have a chance to go visit with so and so today. I'm really looking forward to that, and it's something that we're anticipating. Our times of prayer should be like that. Appointments that we have set aside to talk with God. Uh, you can have your coffee if you want, while you're doing that, but setting aside that time to spend time with God. All the model characters in the Scripture had these kinds of times in their day. When you look at the life of Moses, it's a very fascinating story in Exodus chapter 33, where it says uh, they were in the wilderness, they'd already gotten out of Egypt, they're in the wilderness, and There was a tent of meeting that was pitched outside the camp. And the scripture says that Moses would go out to that tent to meet with God. Now, something very interesting would happen when he would do that. People would see him heading out of the camp and they would all come to the doorway of their tents and watch him. So they kind of knew his habit. Doesn't that imply that to you? Uh, they would come to the door of their tent and they would watch him. And when he got to the doorway of the tent of meeting and he would go inside, the scripture says that pillar of a cloud that followed them by day, which was representative of the Shekinah glory of God, that pillar of cloud would come and descend and stand in the doorway of that tent of meeting. And all of Israel would be so impressed by that that they would worship God in the doorway of their tents. I mean, can you see what's happening? You know, they've watched Moses uh, go out to this place and he's gone inside to talk with God. And here comes the Shekinah glory dwelling in the doorway. And they would say, wow, that's just amazing. Our leader has this special time with God. And in fact, it's recorded in Scripture that in those times, God would speak to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. And that was Moses' example that the people of Israel could count on. David had special times of prayer. He talked about uh, arising early, early will I seek you, O Lord. And in Psalm 57, he says, I will awaken the dawn with my praise. Do you know what it means to awaken the dawn? It means to get up before daybreak <laughs> and to spend that time in God's presence. Someone that was uh, in our eight o'clock service uh, was telling me that they, they work the early shift, they have to be to work by five o'clock, and so they get up at 2:30 in the morning and get ready, and then they drive to their place of work early. And in the quiet of the dark, in the early morning hours, they sit in their car and spend that time with God. Uh, I don't know too many people that go to work at 5 (laughs) a.m. that that would get up at 2.30 so that they could have their quiet time. But that was important to this person. Daniel uh, had such a consistent life of prayer that uh, what we're going to see in just a moment that it was actually used against him. And he was so consistent with it that his enemies could count on his habit unchanging. In the life of Jesus, uh, we read in that Last Supper moment where he went with his disciples and they went to the Mount of Olives to this place where he prayed three times, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. You all know that story and we read that so many times with our attention focused on the passion of Christ and the arrest and the crucifixion and that's kind of where our focus is that oftentimes we overlook the little phrase that says he went to the Mount of Olives as was his custom, as was his custom. That was not the first time he had been there. It was his habit to go there when he was in that area. It was his habit to go there and spend that time in communion with his Father. And when we have these special times of prayer, the Bible gives us insight into the kinds of things we ought to be talking to God about. We ought to be talking to Him about people that we know that do not know Jesus Christ. We ought to be asking for the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. We ought to be praying for a witness in their lives. We should be willing to be that witness. We should be praying for opportunities that will give us an insight into sharing Jesus Christ. We should be looking for those kinds of chances and asking God to create them. We should be praying over our ministry. I know when I say that, that many of you think, well, you're talking about yourself now because you're the guy with the ministry. But I'm talking about all of you. Every one of you here this morning has a spiritual gift from God. Every one of you has some way that God is using you. And if if you don't think that's true, then you need to ask some people that are close to you, How does God use me? Find out the answer to that question. And learn how God has equipped you and gifted you to make a difference in the lives of other people. And then pray over that. That God would stir up the gift that He's put in your life. And give you an effective ministry. We should use these times to pray for guidance. How many of you always know exactly what you ought to do every time? You know, most of the time I don't have a clue. (laughs) I need to get some insight from God before I take the next step. And we're invited. If you lack wisdom, ask God. He gives to everyone who asks Him liberally. And He never chastises us for doing it. He never says, look, dummy, when are you going to figure this out for yourself? I mean, how come you're bothering me all the time with all these dumb questions? You know, he says, come to me. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I'll give you guidance. I'll show you what to do. Lean on me. Don't lean on your own understanding, but, but in all your ways acknowledge me. I will direct your paths. I'm here for you. We should take time every day to seek the face of God concerning the direction of, of our lives. And on and on it goes as we pray for political rulers and spiritual leaders. Now, you know, there's a couple of things I want to mention here that I think are really important because if, if you don't balance what I'm talking about with some other factors, uh, you're going to get hung up. If the devil can't keep you from having a quiet time, then he'll beat you to death with it. I mean, that's, that's the way he works. Are you with me? If he can't stop you from doing something, he'll just wear you out doing it. One way or the other, you know, he's going to kind of get you to give up. Okay? And I remember being in high school, and I had this high school English teacher whom I loved dearly, and I still love and appreciate her. She was a powerful spiritual influence in my life. And she was a pastor's wife, and... She was uh, committed to the Lord, and it was public school, but she was open about her faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Being an English teacher, she always had good books to read, and she made sure that her uh, borrowing bookshelf was sprinkled liberally with books that pointed you in in the right direction. Uh, She was just that kind of person. And one day I was talking with her, and she was talking about having a quiet time, and she said, you know, she said the other day, I uh, I woke up, and I, she said, I got up a little late, and um, I, I kind of felt like I was under pressure, and I was trying to get ready, and I felt like I didn't have time to have my quiet time. And she said, I had this little voice saying to me, you need to stop and spend time with me. And she said, I just kind of ignored it. And she said, all throughout the day, I kept hearing this little voice say, come, come aside and spend time with me. And she said, I just kind of kept pushing it off. And she said, later in the day, I was fixing dinner, and she said, I I pulled a pan of hot oil off the stove, and I burned my arm. And she said, and then later in the day, I stumbled on some steps, and I skinned my shins, and, and she said, I was reminded that I should have spent time with God in that morning. And I thought, what is she saying to me? What's the point here? I think she knew better than to say that God was punishing her for missing her quiet time. I'm not sure she was saying that. But it still kind of came out like, if you don't have your quiet time, bad things are going to happen. And I don't want you to have that kind of thinking in your mind. We're real people. You know, a couple weeks ago, I got the flu. I didn't feel like doing anything. In fact, I didn't even know if it was morning or night for a couple of days. I was just sleeping when I wasn't fevering. And God knows that kind of stuff. God understands our lives. I'm not talking about being so rigid that you live in fear... If you miss a day, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. You know, And the other thing is that we don't get into such a bind legalistically that, okay, I have to have 30 minutes with God, and I'm going to check my clock now, and I'm going to start and I have to spend 30 minutes in prayer, or I haven't done my duty. If, if you begin to think like that, you know, you will eventually burn out. When I was in college, I had such a desire to do all the right things that were pleasing to God, and every time somebody had a suggestion, I would add it to my quiet time. So I was memorizing two verses of Scripture a week. You know, that's a navigator method. Except, hey, if those ordinary Christians memorize two a week, I should be able to do ten a week. Right? So I'm going to do ten. And then I'm going to have this prayer list, because somebody said you ought to have a prayer list. So I keep a a prayer list. I write down everybody that asked me to pray for them. And pretty soon, I had a list so long that about all I had time to do in an hour was say, Lord bless Neri, Lord bless Marge, Lord bless Peril, Lord bless Tom, Lord you know, and it was like, I'm not praying. What am I thinking? I don't even have time to think about these people. I'm so busy praying for them. I have no idea what's going on in their life. You know, and then I had to add a certain amount of scripture and then I had to follow the Acts formula of adoration, confession thanksgiving and supplication and you know go through all of this stuff and pretty soon my quiet time was 90 minutes long and it was a drag i mean i just dreaded spending time with god that's not what it's all about friends <laughs> it's looking forward to having a conversation of god and I, with god and i'm so glad that he ultimately brought me to the place of freedom and I could say, Lord, why don't you bring to my mind the people you want me to pray for? I'm going to trust you to do that, because if I leave it up to me, I'm just going to I'm going to go crazy with this thing, and begin to loosen up and have conversations with God. Have I made my point? It is very important to set aside time to spend with God. It is very important not to turn it into a chore or a legalistic uh, kind of uh, almost obsessive, compulsive thing that you have to check off in your life, or a fear, it's supposed to be communion with the living God. As I mentioned, Daniel was so consistent in his times with God. In Daniel chapter 6, there's an interesting uh, story given about how uh, you know, Daniel kind of came from behind. He was the underdog. And yet, because of his dependence on God, he had great wisdom, and he was an interpreter of dreams. God gave him the understanding of dreams. And it wasn't long before he came to the king's attention. And the king really found that Daniel gave him good answers. Now, you know what happens when this guy from the other side of the tracks goes to Washington and suddenly becomes the fair-haired favorite boy. You know, everybody in Washington gets jealous. They're not glad that the president has a good counselor. They're angry that it's not them. And so that's exactly what happened in Babylon. The other leaders got jealous of him. And so they tricked the king into creating a law that would trip up Daniel. He was so predictable in his habits of prayer that they had the king enact a law that he should be uh, adoring the king at the specific time that they knew he would be talking to God. And when this law got passed, the Scripture says, as was his habit, (laughs) he went out on the balcony in the open And met with God because he did that three times a day like clockwork. And sure enough, uh, they were watching. And as soon as he messed up, they brought it to the king's attention. And that's how he ended up in a lion's den. And you know how that story turned out. Um, he, He came out of it pretty well. But he was that predictable... In his times with God. A great example of a person who made time for God in his life. Well, that's one kind of prayer that we need to build into our spiritual development. Is times that we have set aside to spend in the presence of God. There are other kinds of prayer as well that need to be built into our lives. Urgent kind of crisis prayers, and protracted times of prayer for special occasions. Nehemiah comes to mind as a great example of the guy that knows how to pray uh, those emergency prayers. You find in Nehemiah chapter 2 that he was a cupbearer to the king, Those of you that have heard me teach on Nehemiah before, you've heard this, so just ignore it because there's a lot of people here today that haven't. But in those days, um, if you showed up in the king's presence and you weren't glad to be there, it could literally be off with your head. I mean, the king was such a powerful figure and, frankly, so stuck on himself that if you showed up, you should be delighted that you got an audience with him. And so Nehemiah was a guy that had his attention every day. And every day he would show up in his presence, exuberant and bright and cheerful and excited to be there and ready to not just test his drink to make sure he wasn't being poisoned, but but to counsel him because he was kind of a confidant. And on this particular occasion, he had received a report That his people and and, and the people back in Jerusalem, uh, the the city was in shambles. The people were uh, broken down and discouraged. And it made him so sad that the next day when he went into the king's presence, his grief was shining through. And the king said to him, "Uh, Nehemiah. What is this I see in you? This is nothing but sadness of your spirit. (laughs) And Nehemiah is like, oh no. Uh, What's going to happen? But the king knew Nehemiah well and had compassion on him. And Nehemiah responded by saying, Oh king, why should I not be sad? When the walls of my ancient city are broken down, And burned with fire. And the people are discouraged and disheartened. My father's people and the people of my heritage. And the king said, Nehemiah, what would you like me to do for you? Wow! Wide open door. And what does Nehemiah do? So I prayed to the Lord and I said to the king, There are times... When we have a moment, when we only have seconds to respond, and we need to pray to the Lord and take action, and it should be our habit, because we've cultivated a relationship with God, it should be our habit to pray in those moments. Now, let me say by contrast, some people, when startling things happen to them, say, oh God, well... They're not praying. In fact, they're actually taking God's name in vain. I don't know if they've consciously thought about that, but I have to tell you that it it hurts me to hear uh, people use God's name like that. Uh, I would rather have you use a word that begins with H or D or S or F than to have you use a word that speaks the name of God in such a trivial fashion. It's actually actually wounding to my spirit. And I don't think I'm prudish. I just love the Lord. And I don't like to hear His name taken trivially. However, it is entirely appropriate when we're confronted with a sudden emergency or a sudden opportunity to say, Oh Lord, help me, guide me, direct me, meet me, intervene or like Peter did when he got out of the boat and started to sink, help me because I'm in trouble. It's appropriate to instantly turn to God. For about 20 years, I served with one of the local rescue squads in 911 responses as a paramedic. And I can pretty well tell you without uh, any uh, question of the accuracy that I never heard the tones go off and responded to a call that I didn't pray for God's intervention and God's wisdom and God's help as I went to that call and during the call you know if if we needed to start an IV on someone and they had no veins that we could find you know I would say Lord help me find a vein Lord, help me get this in. Lord, help me intubate this person. Lord, give me wisdom here. Lord, let this defibrillator work. Lord, help us get this person out of this car. I was constantly asking God for help throughout the process of the call because my awareness was I needed God's intervention. And I'm not saying that my colleagues weren't competent. They certainly were. But I would like to believe that there was an edge that I had because I was waiting on the living God to get involved. I didn't have a lot of time to stop and pray. There was no closing the eyes and bowing the knees or bending, folding the hands. But as action was being taken, the Lord intervened in this situation. Other times we have situations in our life that are unusual, they can be called a crisis, but they're not an emergency crisis right now, they're more of something that's coming up on the horizon, and we need God's direction. You find in Daniel, again, I pick on him because he's a great example but in Daniel um, chapter 10, you find that he says for 21 days he fasted and prayed and sought the Lord because he needed an answer to something that was disturbing his spirit. You know, that passage in Daniel introduces us to an interesting kind of fast also Some people have called it the partial fast. What Daniel says is, I took no pleasant food. That means he didn't eat any desserts or fancy steaks or barbecue ribs. Now, well, he probably didn't eat any ribs anyway because he was a good Jew. But um, he did not take all of that rich, fancy food It was kind of like bread and water. In other words, he took just what he needed for enough energy to get through the day, but he focused his attention on spending time in God's presence for a protracted period of time because he needed an answer from God. A lot of people are confused about fasting. You know, you kind of wonder, is this like a hunger strike where you try to twist God's arm? If I don't eat for long enough, will he answer me? You know, will he give me what I want? And that's not what fasting's all about at all. In fact, the whole point of fasting, whether it's partial or total, is in essence to say to God, God, this is so important. It's more important to me than food. I want to take the time I would spend eating and I want to focus on you. I need an answer to this. And I don't want any distractions. And I'm giving myself to it. Because I really believe that I need to hear from you in this case. The scripture says you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And there are times when you have to get the distractions out of your life in order to focus with that intensity. Daniel spent 21 days of protracted, intense prayer asking God for an answer. Now, I think he went to work. I think he did his normal duties in the kingdom. I think he carried out his responsibilities. But every moment he had extra, he was focusing on God. I need an answer. We need to learn both kinds of urgent prayer. And finally, there's a sense of developing a God consciousness and continuous prayer without ceasing. Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. How do you do that? Well, are you aware of the presence of God in your life, moment by moment? Jesus says, "...abide in Me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in Me." If you abide in Me, and My words abide in you... Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and prove your relationship with me as a disciple. Are you aware of God's presence in your life every single moment? Do the things that you see cause to arise in you spontaneous worship? Do events that happen in your life of a blessing prompt you to thank God on the spot? Is it your habit to be aware that He is involved in your life? David said, Lord, You know my thoughts before I even think them. Lord, You know the hairs of my head. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. Lord, you skillfully crafted me in my mother's womb. David in Psalm 139 is essentially saying that God knows him intimately and pays very close attention to him. Are you aware of that? Are you conscious Of God's involvement in your life? I was watching the sparrows yesterday. Our neighbors don't like them because they steal the eggs and drive away the other birds. But, oh well. I just like birds, sparrows, so it doesn't matter. And they're right out on the deck as we sit at our table and look out the sliding glass doors and I was watching them and I was reminded not a sparrow falls that your father does not have knowledge of I mean think of that Jesus says in, in our in our vernacular aren't two sparrows sold for a penny and yet not one of them falls to the ground without my father's knowledge. How much more does he care for you? Seriously, I, th- that verse came to mind. I was reminded of God's care for me. That happens to me all day long. Constantly reminded by one thing or another of the presence of God. And then I find myself saying, Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. What a beautiful thing, Lord. We have a pink peony on the side of our house. That's a flower, for those of you that don't know that, in case you're wondering what I'm saying up here. And my wife brought one in and put it in a little glass jar in the windowsill in the kitchen. And we kind of thought, well there there's this beautiful flower that's it but it kept opening and kept opening you know it's one of those like tissue paper kind of things and it just kept going it's just it's huge and now it's all filled out and every day i look at that thing and say that is just amazing it is incredible what god has done here how delicate how fascinating and the sun would come in backlighting it and the and the color even though it was all the same color it wasn't the same color because you could see the striations in the petals and the the texture and i worship i worship that's the the response that just comes out of me are you aware of the presence of god so that you literally have a running conversation with him throughout the day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. The other day we were driving, I think it might even have been on Green Street, I don't remember. But um, we were headed one way and there was a rather large truck coming the other way. And I don't know what the driver was doing. I know what he wasn't doing. He wasn't looking at the road. And his truck was very slowly drifting over the center line, you know. And I'm starting to think about escape routes. Where am I going to go? And suddenly he woke up to what he was doing and pulled back in his lane. And my... Immediate internal response was, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I believe God's involved in that. I'm his child. If he knows the hairs on my head, he sees the big truck coming at me. It doesn't miss his attention or escape his notice. And he's involved. I know what you're thinking. So what if it hits you? God is still involved. God is still involved. I can count on Him. I can rest in Him. He will take care of me or bring me safely to His kingdom. Nothing can harm me ultimately because my hope is in Him. But I'm glad for the moment that that truck went back on his side of the road. And I thanked God for that. Because that happens to be my present perspective. I'm kind of accustomed to living here. And I want to see that continue for a bit. But I also have confidence in my eternal destiny. Are you aware of God's presence in your life? Is your life a life of prayer. We need to cultivate that kind of praying in our lives in order to see spiritual maturity develop. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for your merciful goodness. Thank you for how you intervene in our lives on a regular basis. Thank you for the strength to bring this message. Bless it to our spirit and to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.